this place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. As always, I am Doug Scott. I'm joined right now by Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Welcome back to the show after uh, a couple episode absence, I think, Hop. Yeah, yeah, it's been a couple weeks, I think. And then uh, we'll have QB on later in the second half of the episode, so stay tuned for that. But I thought, Hop, it'd be great for you and I to kind of walk through some of the action over the last couple of weeks since the spring game, particularly on the trail. Uh, Dex have picked up some some new players, both for the coming season as well as for the class of 2024 that we can touch on. And then maybe kind of get uh, reset the ground a little bit on as far as like what May and June are looking like as far as visits and recruiting and commitments and things like that. And, and anything else you want to talk about here? Sound good? Sounds perfect. All right. Well, let's jump into it first with the, I think we have one new class of 2024 commit since we last talked, I think in the spring game episode, QB and I talked about Luke Moga's commitment. He committed right before the spring game as a quarterback, a three-star quarterback in the 2024 class. We touched on him. Obviously, uh, we'll talk about in a little bit some some other commitments that are coming up this weekend. But the other big, big-time commitment uh, that Oregon picked up uh, about a week ago, a little about 10 days ago, abs, actually, was cornerback Ify Obadegwu out of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, big-time cornerback commit, top 100 player in the country. Hop, you know, kind of talk us through how this commitment happened and, and kind of where the staff sees him, what they like about him, what what you like about him. Yeah, I just think he's he's um, obviously we didn't go back east and get somebody that you're beating out Penn State, uh, Maryland, you know, some of the bigger Big Ten schools. You're taking their guy right out of their backyard and and uh, you know getting him to commit to Oregon across the country. You know, clearly that's a big move. Ify, um, you know, without having his profile right in front of me, he's a top 100, top 125 player, you know, really good looking cornerback. Um, what I like about him, I think for me, is the fact that <clears throat> he's versatile, but versatile in the way that, okay, this isn't, uh, you know, like a shorter, speedy guy, but has trouble with the longer, lengthier wide receivers. And then, you know, this isn't a six foot two corner that maybe might be between a safety and a corner, but playing corner. So has has a, you know, no problem, has has a better time with the longer, lankier guys, but has a tougher time with the shorter, quicker guys. 
I think Ethy's one of those guys that has the ability to to do both. And and I think that's something, you know, I, I think that's something that Dan Lanning's really identified is the fact that you need uh, all kinds of cornerbacks and safeties and nickel players in your defensive backfield in the Pac-12. Because as we know, and as you know, there's uh, this is one of the best years there's ever been for college quarterbacks in the Pac-12 for starters. But secondly, the, the conference as a whole, as we've known it in the past, has always been pretty pass-heavy, pretty offensive-heavy, and having those types of guys really makes your defense better. So, um, you know, that's that's in a nutshell what I like about him. I won't go too far into it, but obviously his teammate, Michael Van Buren, a quarterback that Oregon's recruiting, is set to commit this Saturday. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but getting his teammate committed and Efe's obviously going to help you, um, you know, try and recruit. Uh, Michael Van Buren as well. Yeah, and obviously it certainly seems like the staff likes the taller corners when when they also have the fluid, the fluidness as as QB likes to say the hips right um, to play like a smaller corner right. I mean you don't want to take a tall guy who's stiff and but this staff seems to really prefer a little bit taller, a little bit longer, a little bit rangier corners who also can cover. And if he really fits that mold, right? I mean, he's, he's, I don't want to compare him to, to a guy that just got drafted in the, you know, first round of the NFL draft, but you know, he's, he's, he's in the, the athletic mold of a Christian Gonzalez from a size and, and, you know, skill set standpoint. Uh, and I think that's what the staff really seems to like. We've seen that with some other guys. They've, they're recruiting at that position as well. So obviously big, big time pickup for Oregon um, on the recruiting trail. And as they continue to build this 2024 class, which certainly seems to be on pace for another top 10 class and and maybe even the, the best uh, class on paper that Oregon's ever had. It's depending on how things break here the next six months. But uh, great pickup for Oregon there. Uh, they also got a couple of transfer portal commitments this just this last couple days, I think, uh, over the weekend here. And this fills out their their roster at present, the the Ducks are now at 85 scholarship players again after falling down, I think as low as 82 for a while there. Picked up Casey Kelly a week or so ago. We talked about him on a previous episode. And now this weekend, they've picked up cornerback Nico Reed out of Colorado. Uh, he was a guy that was recruited a little bit by, of course, Coach Meat. Played for him a little bit at Colorado before Meat came over to Oregon. Uh, he's moving on from the prime era and, and coming over to the Ducks as well. And then the other one being Eastern Carolina interior offensive lineman. Uh, forgot his name. Strother. Uh, what's his first name? Nishan Strother. Nishan Strother. Thank you. Yeah. So those are two big commitments for Oregon. And let's start with Nico Reed. Um, just on my, my, it seems like a depth play to me. I mean, Oregon's got, you know, four, uh, probably at least four corners who have a lot of playing time that, that stand to be in the two deep right now. He would be a fifth person that would factor into that if you don't even count any kind of incoming freshmen or young guys who haven't really got any run yet at all. So is this primarily just a depth play? Is this someone you think the duck that could crack, you know, the, the two deep or even the starting lineup for the Ducks? Is, is it just more like what you said getting another guy who can cover and has, has proven play at this level of football. What do you think about Nico? Yeah. I, you know, I think that, you know, for starters, uh, one nice thing about Nico is that he's a two year guy. So you could potentially have him for two years. Um, you know, if you want to keep him for two years, if he wants to stay for two years. And I think that that, um, you know, start there, that makes some sense for a guy like Nico Reed, 
I don't know that he's going to come in and, and, and probably be able to do enough to raise his NFL draft profile to, you know, like Christian Gonzalez, you know, for example, from a year ago, same situation. I don't think that he's going to be able to come in and, and be one of those top 10, top 15 first round kind of guys. So I think if you look at it, maybe from a, a big picture standpoint, you bring him in. And I think that it's kind of safe to assume that this is an immediate two deep guy. Um, you know, clearly he's going to have a good relationship with Coach Me and know what he expects from him um, and, and how he coaches and those types of things. So you've got to think that immediately this is a two deep guy just based off his experience and, and that relationship with Coach Me. I think this is probably also a guy that the staff kind of sees, hey, look, if we can bring this guy in and really get two great years of development out of him, you know, get him this year and get him a lot of playing time, get him out there, get him going. I think in, in that second year, you could see this as a player that really ups his NFL draft profile. So, um, you know, to me so far, and I think you feel the same way I do, we haven't seen Dan Lanning bringing in bodies just to bring in bodies, right? So, you know, Nico Reed, some of these guys, maybe we have a few question marks about, but just based off history with Dan Lanning, he's not bringing guys in to sit the bench, um, you know, and just and, and be depth pieces. So I think Oregon's secondary is probably, and it's speaking directly about cornerbacks, I think it's good. I don't think it's great. And so I, I think they saw a need there um, to really make that room better, deeper, more experienced, and, and getting you a two-deep guy immediately. So that's what I see with Nico Reed. Um, yeah, I, the other thing I wonder there, Hop, is, you know, I, I kind of been looking at the cornerback rotation as, you know, Kyrie Jackson, uh, Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning, and Jaleel Florence, right, who who three of those obviously played last year for Oregon, the other one coming over from Bama, who's played a lot there, and, and those are the four, but we've also seen and heard in spring that Jaleel Florence was working in at, at nickel sometimes, and Triquez Bridges was working in at safety sometimes, so... It does. Nico Reed coming in and taking a spot in the two deep doesn't even necessarily mean, you know, any of those other guys are getting pushed out of the two deep. It could just be a matter of, you know, getting your best cover guys on the field at any point in time. And and if that means you're playing three corners, then you're playing three corners. No, that's a that's a really great point too, Doug. Um, because like you said, there was a lot of movement back there with guys trying different spots. You know, Oregon trying different things. You know, of, of course they're going to you know have different looks. Uh, when they know it's like a third and long passing situation uh, in game time. So, yeah, I think a guy like Nico Reed, like you said, probably really adds to that ability to, you know, then move a Triquest Bridges if you decide to do that. Or, you know, if you see Jalip Florence playing in the nickel spot, because obviously, as we know, Jamal Hill, they lost Jamal Hill to the linebacker group as a safety from a year ago. So there's been some movement. Some guys have grown and moved, and and this kind of adds another element to, hey, look, this maybe gives us freedom to do other things with some of the other guys. Um, I, I, I thought Triquez Bridges did an admirable job, but it sure feels like he's a more natural safety. So maybe this move allows for that, uh, you know, moving forward. So I guess we'll see this this uh, this fall. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like you said, I think the staff is not afraid to just bring in as much talent as possible and let let the players like decide through their play and practice and, and games on who's going to play. Right. So we've seen that all off season that we're, we're the staff is going to bring in more talent. And if they see Nico Reed uh, as a better player than you know either one of the cornerbacks who left or or an open roster spot which they they filled then. 
then that's that's kind of been their their mo. And like you said, they they didn't bring in a single player last year who didn't become a part of the rotation outside of Caleb Chapman, who who spent most right. of the year hurt. So uh, it certainly seems like if they're bringing in guys, they're bringing in guys to fill a role. And even even a guy like Casey Kelly, we talked about last week, right? Like, yeah, I mean they're not bringing them in. You know, I don't think anyone would expect this guy to be a major part of the offense. But, you know, tight end's an interesting position because you have – it's not just like, oh, I have the starting tight end and the backup tight end, right? Like, you have very specific roles to fill on your team, right? Like, and, and at tight end particularly, you have – I have a jumbo package that has three tight ends, maybe even four tight ends in it. I need a guy who can fill that role for four or five or six snaps a game, right? You don't necessarily bring in a Casey Kelly to be – a 20 snap per game guy or, or to say, Oh, I'm going to compete with Patrick Herbert or Kenny Sadiq for the backup tight end reps. No, you bring him in because you have a package that needs three or four tight ends. And he's a guy who is better than probably a, a true freshman Kenyon Sadiq as an inline blocker or an H back. Yes. Yeah, no, totally. And, and that's the thing. I know a lot of folks, I, I, tried to keep telling folks, yes, this, you know, when it was Casey Kelly, this is a scholarship player, it's a scholarship player, you know, the staff, you know, sees value in him. And almost circling back to, to both, well, this move and Nico Reed, and really when we talk about Nisha Strother, that move too, <clears throat> Dan Lanning has not strike me as a guy that's like, hey, let's play for two years down the road or three years down the road. It's a, hey, let's get this team as good as absolutely possible for this next season. Okay, whatever, whatever means we can do that with, let's do it. And, you know, so I think you see him bring in a guy like Keith Kelly and a guy like Nico Reed, and he has identified we're weak in this particular area. Here's how we fix it. Now, whatever that means, if it means for Kelly, hey, we didn't have a great inline blocker at tight end. That's what this guy does really well. This is the best guy in the transfer portal for us to get to do that. Let's go get him. And, you know, I do know that uh, this spring, I know one of uh, – one of the frustrations I had heard is that in the spring and in the spring game, they really weren't able to work in enough 12 personnel during the spring because they didn't have tight end bodies. And so, you know, if that's something that you experienced this spring as a team, obviously they practiced behind closed doors, but that was something I'd heard, uh, you know, from some various sources, you go get a guy, right? You go get a guy. And now hopefully this fall, you can work in those packages. And I think you made a great point. Does Casey Kelly come in and record eight touchdowns and 500 receiving yards this season? Probably almost certainly not to either of those stats, but he's going to have a value there when it's, you know, third and short or, or fourth and one or whatever the case might be. And you're going jumbo, putting the big bodies out there and you need to run over the right side. And this is your guy on the edge. You know what? Maybe he's, maybe he's the guy that helps you get that yard. So, um, yeah, th those are why those moves were made. And again, I think we both agree. Dan Lanning's not out here taking bodies just to just to put bodies on the roster and make sure that he's at 85. He's trying to identify weak areas and making them the best that he possibly can. And obviously, that's been through the transfer portal a little bit lately. Well, let's move over to Nasheem Strother, the interior offensive lineman. And this is another position where it certainly seemed like Oregon has has a lot of depth. Um, you know, with with uh, JPJ, Harper, Jones, Angelau, Ayuli, who got a run during the spring, right? But here they are bringing in another another transfer, the Eastern Carolina guard, who you know graded out as one of the best run blocking guards in the country last year at any level. Uh, so Nashim Strother, you know, what do you what do you make of this this one? 
similar situation yeah. or more of a potential starter guy? Man, that's tough. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough to see a guy like this come in and and probably not expect him to start. And that might be a lofty goal. I don't know. It, it certainly looks like from his experience, this is a guy that they probably feel, you know, can play for them this season. Now, you know, what is that role? Is he essentially your first guy off the bench, uh, you know, at offensive line? I do think that there's some versatility there that he that he offers um, that might be valuable. I, I do know this. I know that essentially, you know, what we view as, as kind of that last scholarship that Oregon had to play with in the transfer portal. Um, you know, ultimately, they kind of were looking at things and, and the players in the portal. And I know a lot of Oregon fans were were really hot after the Ducks going after Franklin from UTSA, the wide receiver down there. Uh, has crazy stats, great looking player, right? All those things. But ultimately, in the end, uh, I believe Oregon could have gotten Franklin easily he's got a great relationship with will stein but i think the ducks opt, opted to go with strother because they viewed hey you know do we really need another receiver we're in great shape getting gary bryant you know Treshawn holden's here you've got troy franklin you've got some really good players chris hudson you've got some great players on that roster now do we really need to make that room deeper or should we solidify our offensive line which really protects bo nicks and helps our run game and i think that was the internal discussion that the ducks had and, and decided that hey strother's the guy we think that helps us make our team better. Let's go get him and and get him in, you know, get him on campus. So um, that's what I like about him. And again, you're going and instead of maybe, you know, going after a late 2023 or 2024 guy, um, you know, which doesn't help you this season, you go out to get a guy that you think can help you win right now. And so I, I think that's what he brings to the table. I, I do like Junior Angle out a lot and he was injured this spring. Uh, for most of the spring camp. So you have to kind of wonder, maybe they just weren't sure where they were at because he wasn't out there uh, very much. And, and you know, Marcus Harper, I know, battled some injuries off and on a little bit this spring, which is totally natural. These guys get dinged up. They, you know, they miss for a week or a few days or whatever. That's pretty natural to hold them out. But I think if yeah, you're a staff... And, and JPJ's been a guy who, who's who been injured a couple times in his career too. So I, it makes a ton of sense from, from all of that standpoint. Yeah, I, I think you're just looking to solidify that room. And uh, and again, I, I feel like the wide receiver room is solidified. I don't know about you. I think it's solidified. Um, it didn't appear that the tight end options were great in the transfer portal um, at any real given time. And so what do you do? It looked like the best option was to go get another yeah, offensive I mean, lineman. I agree with you on which, receiver. you know, frankly. I mean, the Ducks going out and getting Gary Bryant. Sorry, right. cut out on me there. I did. Sorry that the screen went went out. But no, the, you know, you're like I said, the, uh, the wide receiver room is great. Um, and so offensive linemen have really carried a premium in the transfer portal. And I think that Oregon felt like, um, you know, this was this was a guy that fit what they needed. Yeah, just real quick to touch on Gary Bryant, obviously coming over from USC, where he he sat out most of this past season, red you know redshirting with a plan to transfer. He had a pretty successful year in twenty twenty one. You know, I think caught about seven hundred yards, five five hundred six hundred yards, and seven touchdowns. So, explosive player out of the slot can play out wide as well. I think I think Oregon really needed another receiver, and especially another guy who's proven. Right, I, I think obviously you got Troy. Bringing in Tez was another one, holding a little bit, and now you've got you know you got Gary Bryant to go with that, and it gives you some positional flexibility, right? Like Bryant and and Hudson are both guys who can play out wide and in the slot. 
you know, we saw Holden working out of the slot some in the spring game. I don't know if that's just a spring game thing or if that's something we're going to see in certain packages this year. But I really think now you've got a solid, a, a really strong receiver group, you know, probably the best the best that Oregon's been at that position for quite some time, right, with, with Troy and Holden, and then you got, you know, Tez and Bryant and, and Hudson, you know, that's kind of your top five, and then maybe you got a Casper or a Dickey or somebody like that takes kind of that sixth spot. Um, and then you got, you know, you got some of the guys behind those who are depth pieces. So I feel really good about what Oregon's done um, in the offseason at receiver. I think there's a lot more experience in that room than there was a year ago and a lot more uh, depth as well. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. And I, I know I said this before, but I, I will say it again. I think that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fans see that Gary Bryant just committed on Saturday uh, and, you know, Franklin and, and uh, the UTSA wide receiver, Zachary Franklin, had entered the transfer portal, I think, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, somewhere in there. But pretty much by that point in time, the Ducks felt really good with where they were at with Gary Bryant. So you were kind of, it was a too late sort of a deal. Had they both entered the transfer portal back in January, which is when Bryant entered the transfer portal, per- perhaps it might have worked out differently. But I just think with the timing and some of these other things, you know, Oregon had been recruiting uh, Gary Bryant for a number of months already and had a really strong relationship. Um, it just kind of wasn't, it just wasn't, the timing wasn't right, I guess is the way to say it. Good player, probably end up at Auburn or something like that. But I think the Ducks did well to get Bryant. And I don't think we touched on it. I know we have in the past, but now you've got a guy that really helps you return game too. That's probably almost the most valuable thing he'll bring to this team uh, immediately is is giving them a dynamic returner back there. So uh, just, just again, made a lot of sense for Oregon to go get him. Yeah, I'm kind of of the opinion uh, that he – probably committed to Oregon and Oregon probably accepted his commitment before Franklin even entered the transfer portal. So, I mean, that's not something you're going to back off of and renege on and, and whether they even wanted to or not, I, I wouldn't speculate, but I think, yeah, the ship has been down the track, down the road for or sailing down the track. I don't know. The train has been left the station a long time ago is a better way to say it. So uh, I know we only got a couple more minutes left here, Justin, before we move on, but obviously a couple of big commitments scheduled for this weekend. I think about an hour apart, um, you know, of quarterback Michael Van Buren, also out of Baltimore, Maryland, as you mentioned, teammate of recent commit Ify Obadegwu. And then um, the other one being Xavier, 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 Zadavian Sims. Zadavian Sims, yeah, out of uh, Oklahoma currently, but really he's from Texas. He just recently moved to Oklahoma. Uh, 6'3", 275, defensive lineman. Uh, looks to be an Oklahoma versus Oregon battle on that one. Um, you know, really coming down to the wire there. We've seen some crystal balls in both directions here in the last couple of days. And then, of course, Van Buren and his three finalists are uh, Maryland, the homeschool, as well, but most, most seem to think it's Penn State versus Oregon there. And Oregon's been, you know, all the trends with Oregon on getting Michael Van Buren as a second quarterback in the class. So why don't we talk about Van Buren first? Your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you have to think that's actually pretty amazing, right, for Oregon to go out and get two prep quarterbacks committed um, in this cycle and uh, because that's really just not anything that happens anymore. And it's funny, though, but it, it, and, and granted, they're a little different caliber, but it's still funny that there's another school out there that has two prep quarterbacks committed in this cycle. Who could that be? Oh, it's Georgia. How weird. Um, you know, so I do think there's something there to that for Oregon uh, and Dan Lanning going out and getting two guys and basically saying, hey, look, 
there's going to be competition anywhere you go, right? There's going to be a quarterback there. There's going to be a guy that might be a year ahead of you. They're going to go and recruit somebody in behind you. That's just the way it is. So why not come in, um, you know, and potentially uh, compete against a guy in your same class? So I think that's really kind of how it was framed for Van Buren and Moga. I've had my pick on Van Buren for, uh, what, a month, maybe Five, uh, four weeks, yeah, something like been, that. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, it, it's been a while, and I, and I think that uh, you know Oregon did a great job there, just really it, it, kind of framing it to get both those guys committed. And the best part is, I think Van Buren and Luke Moga are two different style of quarterbacks. Right? They they play a little differently. Moga is just an extreme athlete. Um, you know, we still might have questions about his arm per se, but. Um, you know, that's a guy that's a runner that could be very dynamic in an offense where Van Buren's still plenty athletic, but a little bit more of a polished passer. So you bring them both in and, 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 and let them compete and, and, and see, you know, maybe tailor your offense about whichever one you feel better about. And so, you know, I think that's the potential there. And like you said, I think it's Oregon versus Penn state, but, um, I think it's been pretty clear with him returning to the spring game for the ducks. Um, you know, just with the way Luke Moga has, has continued to recruit Michael Van Buren after his commitment, uh, it, it certainly looks like the Ducks are in really good shape there. So I feel good about that one on Saturday. All right, so let's move over to Sims then. I mean, that one seems to be a much uh, tighter tighter battle there and, and a little more murky. I think you made a prediction on on him as well, right? I did. Um, conversely, I did make a prediction on him yesterday. Um, there's been, you know, like you noted uh, when you were talking about him, there's been some back and forth still. There's been some Oklahoma picks. I believe I was the second Oregon pick joining Scott Schrader, uh, you know, one of the USC, the guys that covers USC down there, um, which he had reached out to me prior to making that pick, kind of asked me about it. And I just kind of told him what I knew. I don't think that that's one per se that the Ducks have, you know, written down like, yep, we're getting this guy. We're in great shape. Don't worry about it. I think they feel pretty good. Um, I feel decent about my Oregon pick. I don't feel great. I think I went with like a 55% confidence, which is pretty low for me. I typically don't make one unless I'm going like 70 to 75% or higher. So I, I, I do think the Ducks will get him. I think Oregon's in good shape. I think it was really telling that he made two trips in as many weeks to see Oregon. Um, that's re- rather unheard of. And some back right away. Yeah. Brought, yeah. Brought mom back. It was her birthday that weekend. So, you know, I'm sure that was a really good visit. I, I do think the ducks are the team to beat there, but if he did commit to Oklahoma, it wouldn't totally surprise me on Saturday. Um, the only, the last thing that kind of pushed me that direction is I, I do think that typically when you have two guys that, that are, are both looking at one school, because they aren't really crossing over in other schools. They're looking at the same school, and that's Oregon together. And when they decide to make a commitment on the same day, that usually kind of tells you something, not always, but it usually kind of tells you something as well. Yeah, so it could be a big double quack uh, double quack Saturday for Oregon here in, in a few days. So look out for that on Saturday for Sims and uh, and Van Buren. And I think Oregon has 11 in the class right now. That would If they get both, that pushes them up to 13, which is about half – Half the class. We expect about 25. So yeah. uh, I know you got to go, Hop. Um, any real quick thoughts on, you know, obviously the coach has been out on the trail all month. It's evaluation month. So tons and tons of offers going out, mostly for future, uh, you know, 25, 26 and beyond kids. So 
Uh, but any any notable visits in May? We'll talk about June later. There's a lot going on in June, but any notable visits yeah. in May? Not particularly. I think, you know, the way the staff was kind of working was really utilizing May as a month to be able to, like you said, go out and hit the evaluations really hard, um, see as many recruits as possible, make sure they've got offers out, the guys need to get offers, check in with the guys that, that are top priorities, and really focus on that with a separate focus on maybe completing the roster through the transfer portal. And so we saw those two, thing, two things take place. And so, you know, I think what will happen at the end of this month is you'll see them transition more into recruiting. Um, they've only been bringing in a few visitors um, on the weekends in May because the coaches are on the road all week uh, during the month. So uh, last weekend, it, for example, they did bring in Nico Reed and Nishad Struther for official visits. Uh, and they had one unofficial visitor on campus. So three total guys, not a lot of work. Um, and you can easily kind of navigate those with your coaches on the road. I think you'll see that kind of the rest of the way uh, through the month of May. But yeah, like you said, and so June gets weird, right? June kind of sets the table uh, as we see in recruiting. June now becomes the month that is honestly probably, man, I'm trying to think. It's closing probably time. The, it's closing time, huh? It 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 is. I think it might. Yeah, I think it might be the biggest month in recruiting anymore. I think it is. I think it is now. I do. And it's just weird to think about that because I haven't really thought about that before. But it is. Yeah, you get these guys. A lot of these guys are going to want to make uh, commitments prior to their seasons, which is totally understandable. And June now becomes your big official visit month. So, as we've seen, and I won't get into, but June twenty third right now is a is shaping up to be a massive official visit weekend for Oregon, bringing in a number of guys that are, are clear top targets. And I think you'll see the weekend before and the weekend after, um, you know, be a couple of, of, of fairly big official visit months for Oregon too. So I guess that's where I'm at. We're kind of, yeah, we're kind of slow, but really, you know, they're, they're doing one part of recruiting, which is evaluating on the road. And next month you'll see, you know, the coaches back home, doing some satellite camps here and there, but mostly back at home, hosting recruits on the weekends. And uh, yeah, it'll be a very interesting second half of June. And probably as to what we've kind of known, like that first week of July is usually pretty interesting as well. Cause some of those guys will finish, finish visits and then make commitments, you know, like that following week. Yeah. So I, I know you got to go. So we will end this here, but as always follow Justin and the rest of the gang over at scoopduck.com for all the latest and greatest Intel and information. Hop, thanks so much. It was great to have you back. Yeah. Thanks for getting, making the time to get me on buddy. All right. And now I am back with QB 11 joining us for the second half of the episode. Andrew, happy belated birthday, my friend. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. So what are you, 22 now? 28. 28, old man. Yeah, I uh, like. I don't know. I feel like the arthritis like progressively coming on every day. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, 30's creeping up on you. It's just around the corner now. Yeah, I think that's when we retire, right? 30? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I think you're right. Plus, you're almost plus there. 30? You're almost home. Gosh, that's sad to think that I got like 32 more years till retirement. All right, well. You know what's more sad is when you're like two-thirds of the way to retirement and you realize you're not going to be able to actually afford to retire when you should. So at least you've got time to not face that predicament. 
yeah, I know. I need to be more aggressive about getting ready for it. Yeah, yeah. well, the I'm things a Gen, that we talk Gen about Xer, and most of us screwed that up. So, <laughs> wait, I thought you were a boomer. Oh come on, come on! <laughs> Got him. I'm not gonna right. take that one. Jeez, sorry, right. I'm just messing with you. No, it's all good. But hey, you know, I think we have a cool, a couple of uh, cool topics to talk about. I think one of the things I'm excited about, kind of getting back into now that you know spring ball is over for Oregon as well as everyone else around the country, is it's kind of you know rosters are solidifying around the country. We're gonna start getting into some like talk, you know, as, as the season approaches around, you know, which teams are. What, what power rankings, you know, predictions for the conferences, all those kind of things. And we'll cover a bunch of those throughout the summer. We'll just line them up, you know, week after week. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was, was kind of some off-season winners and losers. And I think maybe if we approach this both from a, a conference perspective as well as a national perspective and, and hit on hit on some winners and losers uh, from both of those aspects. And, and maybe let's just start with the Pac-12 first. So why don't we start – you want to start with a loser or you want to start with a winner? Yeah, I'll start with a loser. Um, yeah, go for I it. I think, well, Stanford's always a loser of the offseason um, with the way that things are currently set up. So they're, they're too easy to pick. So I'm going to go Cal um, as my first team. I actually have two. Uh, and one of them I think might surprise you a little bit. But Cal, Cal is the first. Um, they, they had their starting quarterback transfer out. They had their best receiver transfer to UCLA. They had their best linebacker transfer to UCLA. They had, I think, at one point during the spring, they had zero scholarship quarterbacks on campus. Um, they got ravaged, and like it's really not that surprising when you consider how poor they've been and how little the administration there cares about the football program. Yeah, so that's where I, I'll start, and then I'll, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, I've, I've got two losers. I mean, Cal's a good one too. I, I have and Stanford's too obvious, so I have two losers. I'll start with one, and then maybe a controversial one for the second go around as well, but. Um, I kind of think Washington State is, is not that the expectations were high, but I also think they're a bit of a loser this this go around. I I mean they lost their OC, they brought in another guy. It doesn't seem like they really had any kind of talent influx to address their deficiency. It, they're, just, they're just kind of like treading water, and and I think when you're not moving forward, you're falling behind. And so I, I kind of have them as a bit of a loser in the off season as well. They just don't seem to have any juice or anything going on up there. Yeah. Um, my other one is uh, probably going to surprise people. It's Oregon state. Um, everyone is hyping them. Well, it's interesting, right? Cause you see national media and even some like more regional media, the John Wilners of the world hype, hyping up Oregon state this off season. Um, but no one's talking about like what they lost on defense, uh, losing both their their top corners, um, Wright and Austin, and not really rotating anybody at that position. So like, what are the answers? They didn't get answers in the transfer portal. Uh, they lose Omar Spates to transfer to LSU, their best inside linebacker. Uh, they lose another defensive back at safety. They lose two edge players and a defensive tackle who were at least like solid, defend- dependable players, and the only addition and this is it's weird because this addition is being amplified as though it's like a slam dunk to be a really big time addition is dj young quarterback who's been inconsistent to be like very kind uh in his time surrounded by much better supporting talent at clemson um and then uh, i guess the argument is well he's gonna be playing against worse players in the pac-12 the the acc has been extremely poor during the time that he's been the starting quarterback at clemson um, and so I don't know that that's a necessary 
or necessarily just a slam dunk to be a great like addition and a um an improvement over what they experienced last year with Nolan specifically because I have no idea who the hell he's going to throw the ball to. Um, (laughs) And it didn't add anybody in the transfer portal at receiver of note. And so I don't know. I think that Oregon state lost way more than they added in the transfer portal. Um, And I, I don't know that their rotations last year were indicative of a team that's like really confident with what they're developing on the back end. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that too much. My my other loser, I think, is also going to be a surprise to a lot of people, and I think it's Utah. Um, for some similar reasons to what I said about about Washington State, right? You know, you look at the other teams that are competing for the Pac-12 title, and you, those teams all went out and, I think, got better for the most part, uh, Oregon and USC specifically. And with UW, at least they brought back everybody that, that contributed last year and added a few a few pieces they think are key in a couple positions. I mean, Utah had a good for them recruiting class, but you know, typically Utah, you know, the freshman, it takes their guys two, three years to develop, right? They're not getting ready to play players out of the high school ranks for the most part. You know, they're, they have a similar problem at receiver, right? I mean, Micah Pittman was their big, Oh, by the way, Micah Pittman, who has a, some sort of pretty significant hip injury is their is their big like haul at the receiver position out of the portal. It doesn't feel like they've really backfilled. Like who's who's backfilling Clark Phillips? Um, you know, I, I I think I think they're just not keeping up in the arms race with particularly Oregon and, and USC and to a lesser extent UW for this year. So I think I kind of put them as a loser in that standpoint. Oh, let's talk winners then, because I don't think they're keeping up with UCLA either. I, I um, was going to mention them. Yeah, good call. Yeah, so UCLA is I think. Um, one of my winners from the off season, I think that they did a tremendous job uh, through the, the portal, adding weapons specifically at receiver, both Kyle Ford from USC, uh, J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal, like that was Cal's best player. That was a player that wasn't going to be a major focal point at USC, but like relative to what UCLA has on the roster, I think Ford's a pretty substantial upgrade. Uh, and then there's Carson Steele from, from ball state. Um, and that's one that's like, Wait, a white running back from Ball State's a big pickup? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a stud. Um, he runs really, really hard. Uh, he's not. He's not uh, Zach Charbonnet, but I think he's going to be a very similar style runner. And like we just know that Chip's going to like milk him for every yard he can run. So um, adding him, Malik Montevideo, obviously that Oregon fans are really familiar with, and then the competition at quarterback between Colin Schley and uh, Dante Moore, who I'm fully sold is going to be an absolute monster. Uh, I, I think is going to at least give them one, like one of those guys is going to be good, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're both good. Um, and then defensively, like returning Leatu Latu is a big is a big like addition, I guess, by not losing him. Uh, and then uh, bringing in Oladejo from from Cal at linebacker, Keanu Williams from Oregon. Like Oregon's defensive line's at a point right now where it's so deep with like contributor level players that just because a guy was sixth or seventh on Oregon's defensive line group doesn't mean he can't be a contributor somewhere else. As we're seeing with guys like Keanu Williams going to UCLA, uh, Trevin Maé going to Baylor, shoot even Anthony J uh, Jones today or yesterday announced his commitment to Indiana. Like, these guys are not bouncing back to G five schools. They're going to other power fives where they're going to play major roles. So um, kind of also like points to the health of the Oregon defensive line room. Uh, but it, it's an opportunity for some teams on the West Coast to pick up some like pretty solid players. Yeah, I, I 
agree with you on UCLA, and I think that we've talked about this before, and we'll, when we get to our power rankings for the Pac-12, I think we'll talk about it again. But I think UCLA and youth, I know you agree with this, is a team that a lot of people are sleeping on in this conference, and I think they've reloaded very, very well, um, kind of quietly, or maybe not so quietly to us, but quietly to a lot of the, the national and even Pac-12 media, and I think they're a team that um, you know will surprise some people for sure this year. Uh, my sleeper team, my other, or my, my other winner from the offseason, not a sleeper team at all, um, it's kind of an obvious one, is USC. Um, you know, for a lot of the same things you said about U, uh, UCLA, right? I mean, they had definitive needs on defense. And much like we've talked about Oregon all offseason going out and getting a bunch of guys on defense to fill holes and upgrade their roster at that position, USC has done the same. I mean, they got, you know, Bear Alexander from Georgia. They went and got... Um, you know, guys at every position that they need to to try to make the defense better. Um, you know, they have the number one ranked in a transfer class in the country. They they brought in offensive linemen to backfill holes on the offensive line. They brought in you know Dorian Singer from Arizona at receiver to to backfill a spot there. So I think they're a team that is definitely a winner in the off season. I think they're going to be a better team this year than they were last year, and they were they were a pretty good team last year. So I think they're a clear winner of the off season. Yeah, it kind of points to another loser, unfortunately. Like, I think that, especially relative to what ASU was able to do during this offseason, Arizona just having three of their best players picked off the roster and, and Dorian Singer, Christian Roland Wallace, and Keon Bars all to USC. Uh, that's tough if you're an Arizona fan, like, especially defensively to lose your two best players. A unit that, was, that really struggled last year um, is not a good sign. Oh, you got another winner? No, I think that, like, USC and UCLA are the two, like, to me, they're the two clear non-Oregon uh, winners in the conference. I think that USC's transfer transfer class is really strong. I mean, their most recent additions, I think, are their most impactful ones. Like, Traquan Fagans, I think, will be a good player for them at corner. Uh, Pregnon, the guard from, from uh, Wyoming, will absolutely be a plus player. Bear yeah. Alexander and Anthony Lucas are two guys that I anticipate to start on the interior of the defensive line for USC, like, that to me is like them addressing some major issues. Um, and, and guys like Mason Cobb from Oklahoma state was extremely, uh, an extremely impactful player, uh, in the big 12, the last few years, um, they lose Travis Dye. They bring in Marshawn Lloyd. Like, I, I just think that like USC and Oregon are clearly recruiting in a different click than everybody else. Um, and they're actually being able to, to actually combine that in collaboration with really strong transfer classes. And so, I think that both Oregon and USC are going to look and play a lot more like true top five, top 10 teams this year um, than what we saw in, in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, kind of a little bit of a homer pick and an obvious one too, but I do think Oregon is another, another winner from the off season, um, you know, for all the reasons you said, right. Oregon and USC, the only teams that recruit in the top 20 uh, in the nation, right. And they're both top 10 recruiting schools. Um, and they both, had you know top 10 transfer classes too you know if you're if you're looking at transfers in so they're they're bringing in the most talent in the high school ranks they're bringing in the most talent in the portal um compared to everyone else in the conference and it's you know not particularly close you know to, to whoever's third on those lists so um i think they're the the clear and obvious winners and i think i think your ucla pick is the other the other one that i you know, really like as well in that category well i just know that like if you give Chip chess pieces, he's going to maximize those chess pieces, right? And so, like, when I look at the class that he brought in of, of skill players from the portal, and then you bring in a good good transfer quarterback in Schley and a really good 
prep quarterback and more, you're just setting yourself up for success. So um, also want to, I guess, apologize a little late for this, but I have horrible allergies right now. So can't breathe through my nose. And so I probably sound like I'm plugging it, but it's not, not my choice. All good, my friend. All good. It's that time of year. Um, let's kind of kick this out national a little bit and maybe, maybe we'll start with some, let's go back to the loser side again. Like, what do you, what do you see as a program that maybe was one of the big losers from the off season? Obviously we don't want to talk about like Vanderbilt Michigan or like, state. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about teams that are, you know, Michigan at least state at the is collapsing the and, and, yes. and the entire state of Michigan is trying to figure out, well, well, no, sorry. I should say like a third of the state of Michigan, the ones that actually root for the team in East Lansing are trying to figure out how the hell they're going to afford the $85 million buyout that exists with Mel Tucker. Like that team is in complete shambles. Their recruiting class is falling apart. Uh, they're two, their quarterback and they're, and they're honestly probably their best player on the team. Um, and Keon Colin, Coleman, the receiver transferred to Florida state today. Like I don't like Michigan state's like a four win team in my opinion. So yeah. What, what, what's the story behind that? Like what is like, does anyone know like what's going on behind the scenes there? I don't know. They haven't recruited particularly well. It's like it was on the one year with Kenneth Walker was like an extremely fortunate set of circumstances for them. Um, and it gave them a lot of hype going into last year. They were like not like nationally ranked preseason. And then obviously they almost lost in week one to an FCS team. And then they got handled pretty good in Seattle and then fell into obscurity. And no one talked about him anymore, but I still assumed that Mel Tucker would be able to get his guys in there recruit. Well, um, and ultimately, ultimately find success, and he hasn't done that. Like the recruiting is not following. They've had a lot of staff turnover. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this plays out over the course of the year, and what happens in East Lansing if they do have like a three or four win season. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, mine, my my first one's Florida. I, I kind of think similarly to to Michigan State, not not to the same extreme, but like they're I. I mean, obviously they have a good-looking recruiting class right now for, for for the eight commits they have for 2024. But I mean, that team lost a lot of talent. I don't know who's playing quarterback for them this year. How? I mean, are they going to make a bowl game this year? I don't know. It's going to be close. I, I mean, I think it was always going to be a little bit of a long rebuild in Florida, but you know, then they had the whole off-season kind of NIL disaster with the Jaden Rosada thing and and kind of their their NIL disbanding and reforming and. Um, their collective and all of that stuff. So I kind of think they've had a bit of a, a wild and crazy off season. I don't know, you know, where they're going to go from here. I, I don't like their outlooks for this season at least, and I'm not sure I'm as high on their long term outlooks as I was, let's say, six months ago. Even their long term outlook to me is not an issue. Like when I'm looking at Florida, like as long as Napier can keep this class together, keep DJ Lagway, keep the focus on what is going to be this Florida team, and about. 18 months and not what it is this season um, is going to be important because I don't think that with Graham Mertz they're going to win anything in meeting this year, but they had a really strong recruiting class last year, specifically on the defensive line, um, and now they're going to be bringing in a quarterback that legitimately has an argument to be made for being the best quarterback in the country, uh, and they're bringing in a lot of other supporting talent with him, and so it seems that the foundation was laid with this last recruiting class. Unfortunately, the portal didn't work out in their favor at quarterback. Grayson McCall ended up staying at, or not Grayson McCall, the quarterback from Tulane ended up staying at Tulane uh, and not transferring to Florida. And so they ended up with just Graham Mertz, uh, which is not an ideal situation to be in. So um, again, I think that 
really like Billy Napier's future as the Florida head coach lies in the hand of a 17 year old quarterback commitment. Um, Cause that's going to be the guy that's the catalyst in the linchpin for your class. And he's going to be the guy that's going to be really the guy that you're probably going to be counting on to win you games on Saturday, starting in 2024. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you got another loser or you want to switch to winners? Um, I'm not having an immediate. Oh, well, actually, yeah. Cincinnati is a loser. Oh, they, yeah. they they lose a really, really good coach to Wisconsin. They hire a coach that was really struggling um, and very likely to get fired from Louisville. Um, in fact, I can't remember. I think he might. Satterfield might have actually been hired by or fired by Louisville. Um, and they, they've just got gutted the transfer portal. And there's no way that at Cincinnati you're going to add more than you lose in those situations. And so I'm looking at, at Cincinnati as a, as a program that's certainly uh, probably in for a tougher season, especially joining the Big 12 that, and playing against better teams on a week-to-week basis than they've been used to. But I think it's going to be exacerbated by the fact that they lost Luke Fickle and so much of the key talent. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Conversely, you could probably put Wisconsin in the winner category because I think that – uh, you know they've always been a solid team over the last decade or so, uh, but I think I think Fickle and what he's doing there, especially changing up their offense and being being more open and more dynamic, you know, gives them probably a higher ceiling than they had than they've had previously. So I, th- I think they're a winner. Yeah, I agree with you. I I didn't want to be a homer because everyone knows I'm a Wisconsin fan. So yeah, um, I would say. I mean, obviously, we've got all the teams that are going to be moving conferences after this year. And, and, you know, obviously the four teams that come – Cincinnati's a winner in the sense that they're coming into the, into you know, the Power Five and, well, at the end of the Power Five era, I guess. So, But they're making a lot more money and they're on the big stage now uh, and the other three additions to the Big 12 as well. So that they're kind of winners by default from that standpoint. Um, they've, they've moved up a level of play. Um, but, you know, none of them, I think, are going to make uh, any kind of – waves at least in year one in the big 12 so yeah um a guy that another team that i think is a big winner is florida state uh well florida state and lsu which is what's going to make that week one matchup even more interesting yeah that's a huge um, game florida state just added a ton of really quality pieces in the transfer portal this offseason to the point where like i genuinely think that they should probably be the favorite in the acc um, which says a lot because Clemson has been absolutely running that conference ever since Jimbo left Florida state. Um, and so like adding players like, uh, like a Keon Coleman at wide receiver to go with the other weapons that you already had, adding a player like, uh, Gilbert Edmond on the edge from South Carolina, adding a player like Fentrell Cypress at corner, who was like very like overwhelmingly favored as the best corner in the, in the transfer portal. Um, Jaheim Bell at tight end is just a super dynamic player from South Carolina. Like this is a team to me um, that is like primed to have a really explosive and fun offense to watch this year. And then you you partner that with what's going to be what I would expect to be a very veteran and very like dependable defense uh, in a league where outside of Clemson and Miami to a lesser extent, there's not a lot of top end talent. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, Florida State, yeah, they're my pick, and we'll get into that later in the summer, but I think they're my early pick to win that conference for sure, and, and they're certainly a, a, a playoff contender. 
All right. You want to uh, get to our post-spring Pac-12, what do we call them? Power rankings. Power rankings. Sure. Let's do it. All right. Um, let's start at the bottom. I'll let you go first, and then St- I'll... The uh, the Colorado rule for last year applies to Stanford this year. I'm taking Stanford to lose almost every game. We're not going to do it on every game like we did with Colorado, uh, but we are we're going to be taking them to to lose big over and over again this season. I actually already cash already placed a bet uh, on on futures for Stanford under three wins. So. Yeah, I think that's a really good bet. I, you know, I kind of feel bad for Troy Trailer. I, I don't think he's a bad coach. I think you know he's got a pretty good track record. I'm not sure why he wants this job. Um, it's I don't I don't know that it's that he can succeed there. I don't know that it's possible with given their their challenges from like what's on their current roster and their ability to build their roster. I just man, that's a tough job. That's a tough job in 2023, and I think that they're going to be just awful this year. Yeah, well, you do so tell me that, that poaching like two or three Ivy League kids a year in the transfer portal isn't going to be enough for Stanford to win the Pac-12 again? Um, I I think it's just maybe if they got four or five maybe, but two or three ain't going to cut it now. No, yeah, they got a kid from Harvard, a kid from Syracuse, and a kid from Princeton, oh, and, and one from FIU. So they got four. Yeah. Wow. Like, good for those kids. I mean, they're getting Yeah, uh, I mean, they get to go to Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. That, good for them. Um, my number eleven's Cal. Yeah, same. Uh, I think I think they're they're pretty bad last year. Um, I don't know that they're any better. They've added a couple of of name players that that could contribute a little bit more there. But I just I don't trust that coaching staff at all. I don't think they're I don't think they're well equipped, um, both from a talent perspective and a coaching perspective, to to make any noise in this conference right now. And so I've got them at eleven. Yeah, I got Cal. I, I think that Justin Wilcox is a hilariously overrated coach. I know he's a former Duck, and that pisses some people off, but I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Um, and I will see how the Jake Spavital hire works at offensive coordinator, but there's no, there's really not a lot of good pieces left to work with outside of the running back position. Like you got to feel really good if you're Cal with Jade Knott and Byron Cardwell at, at, as your one-two punch at, at running back. So that's a good, it's a good like piece to work yeah. off of Who's i guess if you're trying, that, that's we're not going to talk about that um i would listen i'd recommend listening to hifliday's review of of uh cal from the spring um if you're curious about who's blocking for them because there's a bunch of names i've never heard before and uh, a bunch of guys that have not been good players in the past who do you got at 10 um i have oh my goodness I had the the microphone thing on my phone going that whole time, and so hold on, okay. I got uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got Washington State at ten. Oh wow, um, wow! I Way down I there. really yeah. I don't think their quarterback's that good. Um, and they well, I do think that they lucked out and upgraded an offensive coordinator this offseason. I I think that the talent that they're losing defensively um, between Maui Goa and Henley at linebacker is not something that they're equipped to replace. Like they were an overachieving defense last year relative to the talent that they acquire through recruiting. Um, and when you lose players like that to transfer in the NFL draft, it's really hard for teams that don't recruit at that higher level to not miss a pretty substantial beat. So uh, I, I don't have a lot of faith in Washington state. I think that they're, um, I think there's a very like clear line of demarcation between the top and bottom of both the North and the South. 
Um, and I think that Washington State is only a hair better than Cal. Fair enough. Yeah, so you've got the bottom three all being North team, even though we don't do divisions anymore. The scheduling still divisional. So, uh, yeah, I have like, Colorado at my number ten. Um, I think the prime era is going to start with you know maybe three or four wins. Um, I think that if he gets to four, I think that's a good season uh, considering their schedule and the roster turnover and everything that's going on there. I do think they they have some pieces, right? I mean, obviously they've got some highly rated guys at a couple of spots, but their lines are are, are pretty thin on talent. Um, we have to see whether Shador Sanders is a you know a, a quarterback who compete in this conference at a high level. Uh, we don't know. I, yeah. I, I think they got a lot of they got a lot of stuff to do in the fall too because half their roster wasn't there for spring so it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a challenge for them to get ready for the season I got them at ten yeah that's fair um, I'm actually going Arizona at ten um, again they were they no, were you had Washington State at ten so you must have Arizona or, at nine or yeah 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 sorry Arizona at nine um, and my phone is transcribing every word I say again gosh dang it um, yeah I got Arizona at nine I. What they lost in the portal, um, specifically defensively, relative to what they're able to bring in to replace it, like I just think that they're going to be a real mess on defense again this year. Uh, also, don't love the coordinator that they have in place on the defensive side of the ball down there. Uh, offensively, I I love I, I love Jacob Cowing. I love uh, Tedaroa McMillan. Uh, I think that they're actually pretty solid at running back. I think that Burnett at at tight end is a fun piece. But I do not trust Jaden Delora to not put the ball in harm's way very consistently, um, and I don't think that they're particularly strong on the line of scrimmage on the other side of the, of the ball. So um, I think that Colorado is ultimately going to have a higher level of talent across the board um, with this transfer-filled roster than what Arizona can field. That's fair. I have Washington State at nine, um, so just one spot ahead of you. I I think that I, I like you. I I don't. I, what blows me away is I understand people getting excited about um, their quarterback last year. You know, he he, he made a lot of ways at, at the FCS level. He came in, and, but I don't know how you could have watched him for a year and still be excited about his future. I, I think he showed pretty well what he is, and it's it's a very limited uh, a quarterback at, at its level of play. And, and like you said, they, they lost Henley, who was far and away their best player on that defense, kind of made that defense what it is, and... I think they're gonna they're gonna backslide a little bit, um, struggle to make a bowl game. They might not make a bowl game, um, so I think they're right on that fence of five or six wins for Washington State at number nine for me, and then I'll flip up snake draft style to my number eight team, which I have as Arizona State. Uh, I think Kenny Dillingham era starts with them. I, I like I think the one thing I, I I'll say about Arizona State, and I think they have a lot of a lot of ways to go. You know, talent wise, obviously starting all over again after the disastrous way the, the Herm Edwards era ended. Um, but I think, you know, Kenny can obviously coach offense, and I think he can scheme his way into some points, into some games uh, that they might win just, just based on scoring. And uh, I think I think there's a lot of positive momentum in that program around the way it's going to head, and, and I don't think they bottomed out talent-wise either, so I think there's still a lot of pieces left that they can, they can build from. So uh, I like Badger, receiver. I like what they got going on. Obviously getting Rashad, I don't know if he's going to play for them this year or, or you know maybe by midseason, but I like what they have going on for the future. I've got them at eight this year, kind of fringe bowl team. Yeah, so I've got Colorado at eight. Um, 
I think they're better than Arizona, but I think Arizona State's pretty clearly the best of the bottom three in the uh, in the Pac-12 South. We'll, we'll see. Again, there, there's still time for that to change, but as it stands today, that's kind of where I'm at. So I think that like Shadur Sanders, it sounds like Colorado's making moves for Zakari Franklin. They've already made some nice transfer portal additions at the skill positions offensively, uh, bringing in uh, Dylan Edwards, the four-star running back from Kansas, one-time Notre Dame commitment. Like I think that they're going to have some pieces offensively, and I think that Sean Lewis, as an offensive coordinator, is going to do things to at least make them fun. Um, and then defensively, like they're adding some of these guys. They're adding aren't that great, but they're adding enough like halfway competent pieces that they're still going to be probably above the median talent range for Pac-12 defenses this year. So I don't know. I, I think that their schedule is brutal, so their record won't show that they're probably a little better than Arizona. Um, but I think that they are a solidly like a like a four win team. So I assume that means you have Arizona State at seven. I do. Yep, I got Arizona State at seven. I love what they're doing. Uh, the transfer portal. Not now. There's they they took a but basically if you're from the state of Arizona, you got a free pass to come home. I don't necessarily agree with that entirely. Uh, but they've also added some really nice pieces. Like they just picked up Jordan Tyson, the Colorado transfer at receiver. He was Colorado's best player offensively last year, in my opinion. Um, really explosive guy. Pad, pair him with Elijah Badger. Um, also. Shipley, who had been hurt while he was at USC, but was productive as a freshman at Texas for Tom Herman. Um, I think that they're going to have a nice group of players at receiver um, and a pretty good group of running backs as well. And I think that with those pieces, Arizona State typically um, has a pretty solid offensive line by Pac-12 standards. I think I think Kenny Dillingham is going to be able to make some things happen offensively. And then... Uh, defensively I think that they start with a better baseline than either Arizona or Colorado um, and they did they have been pretty aggressive about adding some some at least decent some decent talent pieces in the portal we'll see how that pans out and what that ultimately ends up looking like but uh, I don't know I have faith in Kenny Dillingham as a play caller and an offensive coach to, to squeeze quite a bit of juice out of this group Fair enough. I have Arizona at seven. Um, I kind of think I like their trajectory on. I do think they lost some pieces that hurt. So you, you might have me on this one. Um, I like what Jed Fish is doing on the offensive side of the ball, particularly the defense obviously is a massive problem if they don't uh, make some improvements this year. Um, but I have them kind of slightly ahead of Arizona state, but uh, you know, could flip the other way, I guess. It's moving into the top half of the field now, and I think we each have you know three teams from the north, three teams from the south. I'm just going to come in on order. I have Oregon State as my number six. I know they're a very popular pick among some to to potentially even win the conference, make the conference title game. Um, I think I think they're going to backslide a little bit this year from compared to last year. I think people are sleeping on my number five team a little bit uh, in favor of Oregon State. Uh, I think they, those two teams play head up which will, will decide some of that positioning. I think Oregon State lost a lot on defense, and I think that is going to – that was that was what won them games last year. Um, and I, I think they're they're going to backslide quite a bit. For some of the reasons you said earlier about teams, you know, that don't recruit like Washington State, right? When you don't recruit at a really high level and you lose impactful defensive players, you know, whether that be to the NFL or transfer portal, like like uh, both in both cases which happened to, to Oregon State, particularly in the, the – back half of their defense. I think it, it takes a little longer to replace some of those guys. And I think Oregon State's going to need a couple of years to get their defense back again. 
Yeah, I, I think Oregon State is solidly above the bottom tier of the conference, like the bottom half. Yes. Um, just mostly due to the fact that they're going to have a pretty baller offensive line and a really good run game. And I think that that by itself is going to be enough for them to just can play ball control and beat basically any one of these teams from the bottom half of the conference, where I think that they're going to run into issues is where they have to have to score and be explosive against some of these more powerful offenses in the, uh, in the top half of the league. Uh, yeah, so, so you have, you have the Oregon yeah, State at yeah, six sorry. also? Yes, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm dropping the ball on you here. Yeah, okay. I've, got, I've got Oregon State at six as well. Uh, where you and I might di- disagree here is I actually have Utah at five. Um, I, I'm not on the Utah train in the slightest. Uh, I know this is going to be controversial to some people. I've said it many times. I think Utah was the fourth best team in the conference last year. Um, so I don't think it's surprising to have them at five. Um, I have UCLA at five, but it's a coin flip to me between Utah and UCLA. So, um, yeah. Again, I just have more faith in Chip Kelly to to get like what he needs to out of this offense, given that I actually think that they have more talent at the skill positions too than Utah is going to be able to with that group. Like Utah, I, I really like Josh Jackson, the, the running back. I believe it's Josh. I hope it's Josh. Um the Texas transfer at running back for, for Utah. I think he's a really good player. I have no idea outside of Keithy who they're throwing to on the outside. Like if you're counting on Micah Pittman coming off a hip injury, he's not, he's already not an explosive guy to start. Like, I don't think that's like, that's not a dependable place. Uh, Mikey Matthews, the uh, incoming freshman receiver was awesome all week at Under Armour practices. I think he's going to be a guy that they rely heavily on at the receiver position. I'm not sure if he was an early enrollee or not, but they got they got to find some something on the outside that's dynamic because otherwise teams are just going to sit on him. And I don't actually think that the quality of the Utah offensive line is as good as maybe some pundits assume. Yeah, so I've got like I said, I got UCLA at five. Um, I could easily go flip flop these as well, but I'm, I'm just going to give Utah maybe maybe a little bit of that bump for uh, for for the same reasons people are giving them a much bigger bump. But um, I like what UCLA did did in the portal particularly, but you know you still kind of want to see it all come together a little bit. So uh, I've got UCLA at five. I think I'm not worried about them having competent quarterback play. I am interested to see what that means. You know, which quarterback ends up being on the field. Uh, you know, week one and and maybe even more particularly in week five or six. But um, I, I think UCLA is going to be well on their way. And I think with their schedule, they could actually sneak into the conference title game while, while the other teams kind of pick each other off, right? Because they don't play Oregon and they don't play Washington. So if they can kind of run the table with everyone else, split the Utah and USC games, all of a sudden they're sitting there in the Pac-12 title game, <laughs> You know, and while Oregon, USC, UW, and, and Utah all beat each other up for the second spot. So I, I think it's very possible that they they could jump up and grab that second spot. Yeah, I agree. Um, I That's why I have them higher. I've got UCLA uh, in, in my four slot. Um, I think that there's a chance that they actually might be better than this. I, defensively, it's going to be interesting to watch. I don't, I don't love their secondary. Um, but I think that they've got some fun pieces in the front seven. Like again, returning Leatu Latu, he's probably the best pass rusher in the conference. Returning, uh, so that's a really good place to start um, when you're when you're trying to improve on defense. 
They were not very deep on the interior, the interior of the defensive line last year. They added a couple decent pieces in the, in the transfer portal. Uh, if they could stay healthy there, that'll be a big help. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I really, again, I still think that Chip is one of the top 10 best play callers in football. Um, and so I, I just think that Chip's going to get it done offensively. Yeah, so I got Utah at four. Um, you know, you, you talked about them a little bit. I, I think I talked about earlier that I called them a loser of the offseason. I called UCLA winner, and then I'd have them reversed on my on my power ranking. So that seems like a miss on my part, but I'll fix it, I guess, later when we do the next set of power rankings. Um, I, you know, you know Utah's always going to be ready to play. They're always going to come prepared. They're always going to play hard. Um, they're going to be fundamentally sound. I just, I do worry about, do they have... Do they have the horses on offense? You know, how well is Rising going to be ready coming back from his ACL injury? And, and you know, are they going to be able to slow down some of the high-powered offenses, you know, at the top of the conference enough on defense? Would you categorize Utah as a gym rat program? <laughs> Your coach's kid, you know, yeah. plays hard, gym rat. First I guy mean, in, last guy out. Yeah, I mean, lunch pail. Right, I mean, they're, they're them and Oregon State both, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's their identity, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know well that I would that. compare what Utah has done and with Kyle Whittingham and what Oregon State is doing, but no, no, no. I'm saying they're they're. I mean, Oregon State hasn't got there yet. Like Utah's done it. Oregon State's trying to do it, but they both approach it from a similar standpoint. Is my my point? I guess. I'm not saying they're on they're on, they're on equal levels of that trajectory, right? They're no, equal, I, I know. equal points. You're good. You're good. Well, she's much earlier in the trajectory, but that's what oh, they're trying fine, to Doug. be. You're good. Um, at three, I got Washington. I'm assuming you do too. I do. Yeah. I mean, largely the same team they were a year ago. They added a couple of pieces defensively. I've, I mean, Muhammad at corner is better than what they had. Is he elite? No. Is he bad? No. Um, I think he'll give them a solid presence at corner. I'll be interested to see what they do opposite of them. Um, they need somebody to step up there because what they had last year was just not it. Um, Otherwise, defensively, largely the same, which in some positions is a good thing, right? Like you bring back Braylon Trice, you bring back Latui Gastanoa, um, both good players in the front. I'm not super stoked on their linebacker room, but uh, get if Olafosio can prove to stay healthy for the season, that's a good that's a good piece to add back into their lineup. But offensively, they're going to be tough to deal with. They've got a good receiver room. They've got a veteran quarterback. They've got a dependable offensive line, specifically at the tackle position. Uh, I like Dylan Johnson at running back more than anybody that they had. Um, so I think that they've, at, they've added some good pieces, uh, and I think that, that offensively they're still going to be a real handful and they're really well coached in schemes. So uh, I, I like Washington as the third best team in the conference preseason. Yeah, I agree. I mean, their offense, we know they're going to throw the ball around. They're probably going to score a lot of points. Uh, you know, I think when you look at, to me, I think the winner of this conference comes from the top three, right? USC, Oregon, UW. I think it's going to come down to those head-to-head games between each other and, and throw in the Utah and UCLA games there as well, right? To, as to which two teams make it to that conference title game. And I think ultimately the winner of the conference is going to come from those three schools and it's going to be the team that shows the most improvement on defense. They all have elite offenses. They're all going to score points. Who's going to be able to get stops against the other ones? And I think that's going to decide the conference. And none of them, you know, they didn't play last year. Oregon, UW did, right? But neither Oregon or UW played USC. So we missed a lot of those those matchups last year. We're going to see them this year. And I think I think defense is going to decide this thing. Yeah, I agree. 
So and I got Oregon, at Oregon two. and USC ahead of UW, right? Because yeah. I think both of them made many more moves, much bigger moves, much more uh, off-season acquisitions to improve their defenses. Where where UW brought in, uh, you know, like you said, Muhammad at corner, who I think definitely upgrades that room. And then what was their other off-season addition? Uh, the linebacker from USC, who has been quite frankly bad in four years. I mean, is he all of a sudden going to be a different player in year five? Maybe. I wouldn't yeah, bank we'll... on it. We'll see. Um, I when I when I look at the top two, I don't really care what order you put them in. USC and Oregon. Like I, I tend to lean USC primarily because they have the best player in the country at quarterback, um, and I know what they're going to be able to do offensively. It's just a matter of, like, to me, that like the constant of having Caleb Williams as your quarterback gives you an edge. Um, and, and I, as much as I think that Oregon has a better quality roster from top to bottom, I need to see that manifested before I just like say, like come out and say it. Um, and so I, I I'm going to roll with Oregon at two uh, until further notice, but I, I love what Oregon did this off season from a roster standpoint. I mean, they turned over what they needed to turn over. They added 45 new players. They infused a ton of talent on defense um, and they, they managed to improve the, uh, overall picture offensively at the same time, like the skill group, specifically the receiver room is in the best shape it's ever been in. Um, Junior Adams has done a really, really good job there. So I, I'm really excited about this Oregon team. I think that them and USC are clearly one too. And really to me, I think you could argue and nitpick over which one's in what spot. Yeah. I mean, I have the same order as you because like partly because I don't want to be accused of being a homer, right? Like it's just easier to put Oregon second and USC first. So you don't get all that, nonsense backlash uh, which we'll probably get anyway because we had him ahead of UW uh, but it, yeah I mean I think I think it's USC was in the title game last year Oregon wasn't you know they won they won they won 11 and one Oregon went nine and three um so you know I'll give USC the benefit of the doubt they got Caleb like you said um but it, it to me it's I think they were the best two teams in the conference last year um, and just through you know a series of unfortunate events, they didn't end up meeting in the title game like everybody in the country wanted to see. Um, and and hopefully, I mean, they're gonna get they're gonna get to see that matchup this year in Austin, no matter what. And and I think if the if the world is great, we'll get to see it again in Vegas because I think that will be a phenomenal you know set of two games that I'd love to watch and, and see how it pans out in the in the final year of this iteration of the the Pac-12 conference. All right. You ready to do some listener questions? Are you still there? Yeah, I am. Sorry, I muted myself because I was sneezing uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, he didn't have anything to say to my I figured, I figured, like, the, they the didn't want me game. just, like, blowing snot in their ears and in, in high-definition audio. Um, not today. Maybe next time we'll put a special episode out just just of that over and over again. I'm sure some someone somewhere might like that. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. Let's pump through these listener questions. Yeah, we got we got some good ones. Um, we'll start with one by one of our friends up north, uh, Neighborhood Husky. Actually, it's a three part question. Uh, so I'll I'll go to these one at a time. Uh, one breakout player casual fans may not know about on both sides of the ball for Oregon, obviously. We can each give one if you want. I'll still start with offense. Who who do you think is a breakout player that a casual fan might not know about on offense? I'll go with Tez Johnson. Um, re- transfer up from uh, from uh, 
Troy? Yeah, I think like the natural like the, the natural inclination here is going to be good with a skill player. Um, I'll go with Johnny Cornelius to tackle though. Yeah, no, I think both of the, that's a great like, show. Yeah, you're adding the top transfer portal tackle. Um, he's got a ton of really good film. I think that's where I'm going to go. I think he's he's a guy like again like your casuals typically couldn't name the offensive line. So uh, when you lose two players who have played a ton of snaps and Bass um, and Sala at tackle, bringing in Cornelius at right tackle to, to complement Connor Lee on the other side, I think is a is a good spot to be in. Yep, totally agree with that. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Okay, yeah. Uh, defensively, I'm going to go... Again, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to go transfer here uh, just due to the fact that, again, like yeah. a casual fan might not know the transfers as well. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, Evan Williams at safety from Fresno State. Um, Oregon needed somebody to put next to Brian Addison. Uh, I think Brian Addison actually would be a good shout for this as well. Um, and he's a player that I think is going to add a lot of positional value. Uh, has a lot of experience. He's instinctive. He's got good range. I think he's going to be a player that is an impactful guy this year. Yeah, I had a similar thought process to you, and I ended up with uh, picking Tysheem Johnson, Tysheem Johnson, the Ole Miss transfer, who's he's probably going to play nickel for Oregon this year. And I think we're going to see – I think people are going to really see the way he attacks in the run game the way he can uh, cover in the passing game and just run that alley uh, really well. So I, it's a guy that I think casual fans may not be aware of, but will will splash on game day as well. Yeah, I think like you had to go up the middle of the defense, whether it was like a Justin Jacobs or um, even a Jamal Hill moving down the linebacker. I think he's a guy that's poised for a really good season. So Yeah, I thought about him, but I thought, eh, casual fans probably know Jamal Hill. Even though he's at a different position and everything, that felt like it didn't really qualify for me, but it's a good one for sure. Uh, Second part of the question, similar vein, what underclassmen, not named Mateo, do you see cracking the the two deep, you know, who are in the rotation? Ooh. Um, On both sides of the ball? I mean, he didn't say that, but we could could give a couple each for sure. Okay, yeah. um, Offensively, it's oh, a little man. harder on offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I, Sadiq, Kenyon Sadiq is one. I think. Yeah, I mean, I Sadiq is. Well, he absolutely will play. That's that's probably the answer. Um, yeah, no, that that has to be the answer. Um, and he, I think he's going to play a pretty big role. I don't think he's going to be like a 50, 60 catch guy, but I think he could add twenty. Um, and I think twenty catches for a player like that's a really good freshman season. So, um, and then defensively. It's tough because the guy I want to pick isn't even on campus yet. Actually, both guys I want to pick yeah. aren't on campus yet. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really well, want to go. Da- I really want to go Dalen Austin. Um, I think he's going to end up playing quite a bit at corner. But now you had Nico Reed, so it's like even it's even like a tougher hill to climb. Uh, mm. Yeah, no, I'm going to go Blake Purchase. Final answer. Yeah, I think to me that I look at two, but it's it's not necessarily freshman, it's underclassmen. But I think edge is, is an obvious position where there's room for somebody at an underclassman to grab. If Mateo doesn't count, right? You still got Blake Purchase, you still got Tatum Tuioti, you still got Jaden Moore, right? Some one of those guys, and I think Purchase is is, is as good a pick as any, if not better, uh, to to break through and crack that rotation. I think another one. I mean, does Jaleel Florence count? I mean, yeah, no, he maybe. can't count. Uh, if he doesn't um, count, then not. But yeah, obviously, if he could count, then I would count him. 
It's tough because I also could see Amari Washington playing despite the fact that we're stupid deep on the defensive line. Um, Just because I think he adds something from a Twitch standpoint that is kind of rare. That's tough. I think think you have to go edge. So I think Blake Purchase is my final answer. If it's not Mateo, because I think Mateo and Purchase are probably the two that are going to play as true freshmen. Um, Yep. Yeah, that's my final answer. All right, so third part of his three-part question was, Oregon replaced many players in the portal, but at what two positions are you concerned about depth? Uh, that's pretty easy for me. Tight end is obviously one jumping off the page. And then I'd, th- I'd say, I, I mean, concerned. I don't know if there's any other position I'm concerned. Maybe inside linebacker, just they're, sec- they're six scholarship guys. I think that's enough. But, you know, if you hit a couple injuries, maybe it gets a little thin there. You could go edge maybe just from an experience standpoint. There's not experience depth there, but I mean, really it's tight end for me. Yeah, tight end is the only one that I'm really concerned with. I think there's enough depth everywhere else. Um, maybe deep safety if something were to happen, if you had a rash of injuries. Um, like I don't love some of the guys that are there, but there's some young players that I think are, have good upside. I don't know if they're going to be ready this season or not, but we'll find out. Um, but yeah, I think tight end is – like the only spot where I'm just like, like losing both Matavao and McCormick this off season to go play bigger roles other places, uh, definitely puts you in a situation where, like, you're relying on guys that you would have rather had be depth pieces. I'll let you answer this one first since I stole the last one. Uh, what two positions were upgraded? I think there's more than two, but I'll I'll give you two and then I'll add two more. Wait, what two positions what were upgraded? What two positions the most? were upgraded? Yeah, from from last year to this, uh, the defensive back room in general, like the whole defensive back room, yeah, um, and then probably linebacker. Yep, but I think those two. I think wide receiver. I think the wide. Receiver I think room I is, think is yeah, wide receiver as well. I think a sleeper is actually tackle. Yeah, I, I think I think Oregon's in a better position at offensive tackle than it was a year ago. I think I, Bass and Sala were really solid contributors. They were good players. One of them got drafted late. The other one was an undrafted free agent. Both of those guys are going to play guard at the next level. Um, we, we were running with two, two like guard by skill set players to tackle, whereas now um, I think Oregon's have a lot more flexibility because you have actual tackle athletes playing tackle. Yeah, I mean, I'd also, I mean, you you could say running back was upgraded. It's not, it's not necessarily going to show up on the field because I don't know. I mean, you're just so deep, you can't play them all. But it's, I mean, the five that are on the roster this year are better than the five that were on the roster last year. Um, I'd also say, like, you know, Edge. I, I think no. Jordan Birch is a better player than DJ Johnson, and all the young guys you have are probably better talent than what you had last year. So, I mean, that I mean, there's a reason that Oregon turned over 45 players, right? Like, the, every position is better than it was a year ago, like, in theory, except for, like, except again, for you end. can argue tight end, yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, next question. Thank you, Hood. Good questions. Um, when looking, this is kind of falls up on the tight end thing, so it's a good good segue. When looking at the two deep by position, tight end stands out to me as a question mark. This is from Mark. T. Ferg is clearly the number one, yet behind him it's a bit of an unknown. What are your thoughts on the tight end room, and how does this room fit into Stein's offensive philosophy? Well, I think that just based on the way that, that things played out, this is going to be a less impactful group than it was a year ago. Like, you're not going to play as much 12 personnel I think that the tight ends that do play in like 11 are going to be guys that play primarily detached guys like Sadiq guys like Ferguson 
Not that Ferguson can't inline block, but like if you're worried about depth, I don't think there's a reason to keep him in there. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot more like 10 personnel um, packages, maybe some 20. Like You're going to want to get as many backs and receivers on the field as you can. And because you have better athletes on the edge of tackle, I think that you're, you're probably satisfied um, running with, with open edges versus like having to have attached tight ends at all times. Yeah. I, I, I won't add anything more to that. Um, I think, I think you have to, I think uh, people with tight end often get caught up into thinking tight end and like you got tight end one, you got tight end two, you got tight end three. And I really try to stress, you think about like tight end, there's really, it's really sub positions, right? Like you said, you've got, you've got your inline tight ends. You've got your, your more detached tight ends. You even got like H backs, right? Like you got your jumbo package tight ends. So it's, it's, to me, you have to think about it in that terms as much as you have to do it and think about first string, second thing, third string. Guys are like a guy like Casey Kelly. Like if we ever line him up as a detached tight end, I'll be shocked. Right? That's not why we brought him in. Right? Like your job is oh you're in the you're in the three tight end set to go block somebody. Right? So you're filling a specific role. You're not tight end two or tight end three that can do anything. You know that, that's being asked of of a Ferguson or a Sadiq or something. Yeah. Um, Paul Berardi, there were quite a few linebacker exits this offseason. What type of player, e.g. body type and measurables, is Lanning and, and Tosh looking for to fill linebacker positions in the defense? Wait, can you repeat that real quick? Yeah. There were quite a few linebacker exits this offseason. What type of player, in terms of body type and measurables, are Lanning and Tosh looking for to fill the linebacker position in this defense? I mean, range range is the most important piece. If you can't run, you can't play. Um, like you look at all the guys that were recruiting at linebacker; they're all exceptional athletes. Like you, you don't want to like you don't want to get too you don't get small while getting faster. And I think that's what's really impressive about what they're doing. Right? It's like we're recruiting guys like Justin Williams and Dylan Williams and Braden Platt and Kamar Matuti. Like you're getting guys that are long rangy athletes with with attic with like not even adequate but with like plus size um but they have like exceptional like burst to close um sideline to sideline range can cover like they're true three down linebackers right whereas like i think there was definitely some guys on oregon's roster that were i would consider stiff um that are more like old school take on interior backers whereas that's not the game now you have to be if you want to be multiple if you want to be able to run simulated pressures and bring guys from different places, you also have to have athletes at linebacker who can bolt, who can run um, so that they can get into those coverage spots so they could be a robber on some underneath stuff, um, but also like get home close and, and actually finish on athletic quarterbacks in space. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, two of the four guys who are going to be in the rotation are converted safeties. <laughs> Uh, so I think that that kind of speaks to what you're saying, but they're guys like you said with Hill and, and particularly Hill, but even Bassa, right? They're, where they're 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 not necessarily sacrificing too much size, you know, compared to where Bassa was a couple of years ago for sure, compared to where Hill was, right? Um, but it, I mean, I think that that speaks to what you're talking about. All right, uh, the Polar Bear asks, what do the additions to the team from the transfer portal say to you? I think we've talked about that a lot. Uh, is it time to start worrying about the offensive line, or did we just pick up a guy that will provide competition and quality depth? I assume he's talking about uh, Nasir Strother, who we who we got from Eastern Carolina as a guard, interior offensive lineman. Uh, this just this past couple days. Yeah, I, I have a really strong feeling on this one. You took him because he's better than the guys you have. 
Like he he was just a plus player. Um, and I think that the one thing that the staff has been is like unbelievably aggressive about not really worrying about what you have, but if something better is out there, you're going to go try to actively get it. Um, and so like, they're not worried about feelings. They're just going to go out and recruit the best players. Uh, and I think that's what you should do. I think you should be like ruthlessly aggressive about talent acquisition. And so that's something that I'm really happy with, with this staff. Uh, and I think that Struther is like, he, he walks in as a starter at guard and gives you a lot of depth. And like, it, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts junior angle with Marcus Harper getting a little banged up again, we expect him to be fully healthy for the start of fall camp. Uh, JPJ, uh, Stephen Jones, like what does this look like on the interior of the offensive line? To me, I think it goes Harper, JPJ, Struther from left to right, and I think that that's as like nasty of a mauling group of interior offensive linemen that we've had in a while. Like that's a really really strong group. So, um, in terms of like the transfer portal, like. Go get guys. If you think if you think that someone's better than the guys that you have, go get them. Yeah, I mean, I think we looked. I feel like a broken record, and I talked about it was Justin earlier. Uh, you know, you look at what we did in the portal last year, and every single guy that brought that we brought in outside of Caleb Chapman, who spent the year injured, every single player that the Dan and company brought in last year filled a. A spot in the rotation they were either a starter or a significant role player and and made the team better so uh is it gonna you know we brought in what 15 16 transfers now uh, are they all gonna gonna be in that spot maybe um i think it's gonna be a lot more than not right i mean we're talking about a lot of guys who are gonna start and play a lot of roles here and and it's just you know like talent acquisition get make the team better make the team better fill holes yep i agree uh, Bryant, Brent Flores, how do you feel about the latest portal additions, Bryant, Strother, and Reed specifically? Obviously, we just talked a little bit about Strother, so let's focus on Gary Bryant Jr. coming over from USC as a receiver and uh, Nico Reed as at corner, which I think you touched on briefly earlier as well. Yeah, I, I haven't had as much of an opportunity to watch Reed as I have the other guys. Uh, again, I'm really happy with Strother. Um, Bryant, to me, is like he, he's just another nice piece in the receiver room, I think he's a guy that has some positional versatility, although I think he primarily plays in the slot. Um, but, Doug, you're going full Darth Vader right now. Um, but the, like, Nico Reed's an interesting one. I think he's more so a replacement for guys like Dickerson and Barkins leaving than he is a player that they're anticipating being a primary part of the cornerback rotation and we'll see what happens like again i haven't done full film study on him yet i'm not super familiar with this game um but i i don't see him breaking into that top four corner group group and i think there's a lot of really stiff competition coming in in the fall in, in terms of new true freshman additions so i'll be interested to see where he kind of lands in this room and what his role ends up looking like uh but i i fully subscribe to the idea that you can never have too many guys that can cover and so if Coach Meat likes him enough to take him after recruiting him out of high school and then coaching him at, at Colorado and then getting an opportunity to recruit him again, like it's like it's double jeopardy at that point. And I really trust Coach Meat. So uh, I'm interested to see how that one plays out. All right, fair enough. Um, moving on to the next question. This is kind of, I'll, I'll take this one and you can chime in if you want. This is kind of out of left field, but do you think Oregon slash Nike will ever bring back something similar to the opening 
With the turnout from the spring game paired with the Elite 11, it seems like such a huge recruiting tool. Uh, so first of all, that was not... A, Oregon had nothing to do with the opening event. And also there were actually rules in place that prevented Oregon from piggybacking on that event and, and using it as a recruit. Like, you couldn't go to the opening and then take a side trip to Oregon for a recruiting visit. It was not allowed by the NCAA. Um, however, I think it... It is a missed opportunity from Oregon from the standpoint that at the time that the opening finals were held on Nike campus, which ended about, I don't know, five years ago now, um, Oregon wasn't really recruiting any of those kids, right? Like the guys that were at the opening finals were all like your top 100, top 150 kids who were going to other schools and weren't really considering Oregon. And the time that Oregon actually was in, started to be in the running for a lot of those guys, that event ended, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate. So I, I do think there would be some kind of carryover recruiting benefit to Oregon potentially just if that event was still around and, you know, 15 or 20 kids that are considering Oregon were at that event. But I have not heard anything, any, anything at all that that event is ever coming back. So unfortunately, because I, yeah. I love to go watch it. Yeah. I hope it comes back, um, but it doesn't look good. So we'll see what plays out. All right. Uh, we got, Boy, we still got a bunch of questions, so let's rapid-fire some of these. Um, Wink. No, Wink was the question we just had. Morgan, were you, if you were an Oregon position coach, which of the 11 2024 commits would you be most excited to get a chance to develop at the college level? Uh, if he Obedegwu. Uh, I think he's, like, he's still really raw, but I think that his athletic talent is just ridiculous. It's actually two DBs for me. It'd be him or Flowers. Yeah, I was going to mention Flowers. I think those are the two, too. Uh, you know, maybe you take a shot at, at Anderson and uh, at the receiver position as well, but those are probably the three I would start on. Okay, Mark, fill in the blank and discuss. Oregon's best chance at making the playoffs is if blank player is dominant at his position throughout the season, and it can't be Bo Nix. So. Jordan Birch. Yeah, I. I think that's the obvious answer besides besides Knicks. Any other any other names you'd consider? Oh, I thought we were just doing one. Um if someone really emerged, like Justin Jacobs, I think would be a player. Uh Brandon Dorless, if he was dominant. Again, like anybody in the front seven, like turning into a dominant player, um, I think would be it would be a good feather in the cap. Yeah, maybe like a Kyrie Jackson or somebody at corner. Yeah. Or Julio like, or somebody. Think, think I think Burks is the positions. obvious winner, though. Pre- premium positions is where you're looking, right? Like, it's going to be Connerly. off the tackle. At, yeah, I was going to say, Connerly, um, an edge player like Birch, a corner, maybe a Kyrie Jackson, maybe it's a Jaleel Florence, somebody like that. Um, okay, John V. Adams, strongest and weakest units on the team. Strongest defensive line, weakest uh, tight end. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Chris, where do you think this team ranks all-time based on depth? I think he means all-time against previous Oregon teams. Uh, depth. I mean, it's the deepest team we've ever had. It doesn't mean yeah, I think it's going to be the most successful. But I still, like, 2012 is our best team. Um, yeah. And I think this team is deeper, but I think that there were some top-end guys on that 2012 team that we don't have here. Yeah. Uh, Oregon Recruiting wants to know what's the two deep at corner going to look like week one? Uh, I'm going to go Bridges, Jackson, Florence, Manning. Yeah, I think that's the obvious one. Uh, although there's now a 
nice dovetail question on that. Tyler Jones, do you think Bridges moves to full-time safety with what we have now at corner? Don't take me wrong. I like him at corner. I just feel like he'd be even better there at safety if we can hold down corner without him. Yeah, my, my thought on this is that we've had six defensive back coaches coaching corners and safeties since Bridges has been on campus, and they've all played him at corner. So I, I don't think – like, I think that athletically, you're right, he probably fits better at safety. Um, in terms of his actual skill set, that it's a completely different instinctive skill set to play safety than corner, and I don't know that he has that. And if he did, I think he would be playing safety. Um, the other piece is that I don't know he would. I don't think he would start first at safety either. Now that we have Addison, Williams, and, and Johnson, so um, I I think that ultimately he ends up staying a corner. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll see some packages where he moves around, moves inside a little more. But I think primarily he'll be a corner, and he's but he was reasonably successful there last year. So, uh, Eric Schoenbeck, how many players do we have on the roster that are on their final year of eligibility? I just happen to have my roster right in front of me. Then the answer is 14. Um, however, I do think there's at least another 14 more, maybe, maybe as many as 16 or 18 more that are probably or likely to be in their final season at Oregon if not college football, uh, even beyond the 14 that run out of eligibility. So I, I kind of see th- about 30 players, give or take, um, being done being done at Oregon after this season. But 14 seniors by eligibility-wise. Yeah, that's a good number. I think that sounds about right to me. Uh, EGC, can you explain the summer schedule? When are they starting conditioning and resuming practices? When do the rest of the freshmen join the team? Uh, so the rest of the freshmen will join the team when the summer term starts, when the spring term ends, which will be like mid-June, late June, June yeah, time frame. Like usually uh, like the second I, or third week of June. Yeah, I assume summer conditioning is probably already underway in some yep. form or fashion. They had the um, first day of it on Monday. Did they? Okay. And then um, practices, uh, fall camp practices generally start right around the 1st of August. It's always about a month before the first game. There's NCAA rules around that. So uh, right around the 1st of August, give or take, will we'll be when actual fall practices start. But from the time they get, you know, everyone gets back on campus in late June, and, or even now, like you said, until until August, it'll be, it's Love's, Coach Love's team to run. Yep. Final question. Uh, kind of touched on this a little bit, similar to the corner question, Desert Duck 99 how do you see the linebacker core shaking out come fall? Will we have a true two deep as numbers are a bit limited? Yeah, I think we do have a. I think we have a true three deep. Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, I think it's really. I don't feel comfortable going beyond the four, but I think right. that you're. We have a three deep by default. I think that you're very clear with who your top four are. Like, I think whether it's, I think well, Jacobs is one of the starters. Whether it's Hill or Bass at the other spot, I'm not sure. Let's just say it's Bassa. Um, and then you got Hill and Soul as your as your two deep, and I think that you're like, it's not the sexiest names of all time. Like they're not like that like the highest rated recruits and like the most splashy guys ever. But I think that's a group that you should be really like solid with. Yeah, I feel like a broken record. I have convinced myself that those four will play the linebacker position at a significantly better level than we saw across the board last year at that position. Yeah, I agree. I think we did it. We had a, a lot- great set of questions. Thank you to all of our listeners who, who posted those in. We worked through them all. We're at an hour and eight minutes, so it'll be a long episode for everyone. But uh, it was great to be back. It's been a, a, about a two-week absence since we talked last, QB. And 
I think we're, we'll start rolling into summer. I think we got a lot of fun topics to cover now um, that we can do more stuff like we did earlier in this episode. Yeah, I agree. I think like there's there's a lot of stuff I still want to touch on. We had over-unders released, like win total over-unders. I've placed yep. a couple bets on some of those uh, early. Um, we had some Heisman odds released. Bo Nix was tied for second with Michael Penix nationally um, via one book. So yeah, it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of football stuff getting ramped up here. We got summer uh, spring meetings taking place across the country, um, so might be a good opportunity <laughs> for us to have our good friend James Krepia back on the show here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dare we say some sort of conference realignment slash media rights you know resolution is is in the future at some point. We keep saying it might be by the next episode, but uh, it keeps not being by the next episode, but. Some resolution is is in sight and before the season starts. How about that? Yeah, well, when it happens, it happens. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about nothing on it every episode. Obviously, we'll cover it if there's major news that actually is news and not just regurgitation of this more of the same. But uh, something will happen there. We got that. We've got, you know, dark horses. We got overrated. We got underrated. We got all kinds of cool stuff to talk about this summer. And obviously, recruiting as well. You know, we mentioned earlier with Justin, there's a couple couple of uh, potential quacks coming this weekend, so stay tuned for that on Saturday. Obviously, if and when those happen, we'll be covering them on our next episode. QB, yeah. I hope your uh, allergies get better. Me too. I'm dying. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, my friend. It's been great to chat with you again, and we will catch you soon, everyone. <laughs>